people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I, the only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset going to mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wander. So all I know is Samba deer, but the more, the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Good morning listeners, ladies and gents. Uh, welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Uh, with me here today, I'm Alan Kidner, and I've got Andy Donald. And we're sitting in a coffee shop in Melbourne on Ligon Street of all places. So, very uh, hipster. Very trendy. Trendy Alan. hipster place, yeah. yeah. It's we're a pleasure good. to be here. <laughs> good on you, mate. A pleasure to have you on. Um, so, we, I come down for the Wild Deer, not Wild Deer Expo, the Hunt Expo. You and I actually met, if you can call it meeting, um, <laughs> via Instagram. Because your story in itself, and we'll get onto that later, but it's quite a... I believe it's an amazing story, and, and not, not so much amazing, but it's a good story which will make a good podcast, hence why I reached out to you. But before I even got into the podcast with Honey Camp Down Under, I, I followed you, you know, straight up. Um, just, you're an archer, and we'll get onto your story in a minute. But, sure. Um, how about you introduce, well, yeah, apart from the barista noise we've got in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit, a bit about yourself, mate. Introduce yourself to the listeners that don't follow you on Instagram. Just so they, sure. we've got a bit of a, we can set the, the theme of the, of the podcast and why I'm actually chatting to you. Sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly new to, to archery, really. Um, it's been about just over five years of, of shooting uh, traditional bows. Um, was it always traditional gear you liked? Yeah, it, that was what drew me to archery, I think. Okay. The, uh, the traditional bow. Um, I have definitely a, a passion for collecting bows. Um, Comes with traditional archery. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinated by, by the simplicity of a stick and string mm -hmm. bow, um, recurves and long bows. Um, a real passion for, for the bear archery uh, company and, and their bows and... But such a great background of this stuff. Yes, exactly. The history behind bear yeah. archery is amazing. Well, I, don't, I don't know many traditional bow owners that don't like bear archery and the history of Fred Bear and the company. And, well, yeah. That was definitely what attracted to, uh, me to uh, bear archery. Um, but um, more than that, I, you know, I grew up in Brisbane. Um, I'm a professional musician, mm -hmm. uh, a music teacher. Right. Um, been passionate about martial arts my whole life um, so archery is a, a fairly recent thing for me mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of those um, skills transfer over from from martial arts and, and even yeah. music believe it or not um, and I'm legally blind yes so I, I have um, a next explain it, sorry I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in when we say legally blind you're not like Ray Charles blind. No, no, it's, it's not like Ray Charles blind. No, so um, to, to the listeners, so they go, Jesus, well, what do you got here, Al? Um, yeah, so this is an interesting tell uh, you, tell you, tell thing you, to you explain. Your, your, like your, your, the condition you have, if, sure, if that's the correct sure. terminology, um, of, of how you and 
that then will fold into or unfold into the actual shooting and, and sure, archery. Sure, sure. Um, well, I say legally blind because that's uh, a very accurate way to describe um, my vision impairment. Mm -hmm. So, so not all visually impaired people are legally blind. Mm -hmm. um, legally blind people are vision impaired. Uh, legally blind doesn't mean you're totally blind. Mm -hmm. In fact, very few blind people are totally blind. Yep. Um, okay. That's quite rare. Uh, the vision impairment spectrum is is very broad yep. um, and legally blind means uh, technically that my vision is uh, less than 660 so right. what an average eye would see clearly at 60 meters uh, my vision would see at less than six meters okay. um, it also means that you know uh, you can't drive or do other things that that require um, you know, everyday skills average yeah. vision yeah okay. um, so that, that's why I say legally blind because there is a, a technical definition there I guess um, it sets in someone's um, imagination when, when you explain that to them they go okay he's legally blind right okay and then they can have that you know thought process of you know, yeah yeah I mean if you explain to someone over the phone or, or you know exactly exactly yeah. um, it does create a bit of confusion sometimes because I, I think it's not something that a lot of people are, are broadly aware of, mm -hmm. uh, these definitions, but um, that, that's how I've come to identify over the years. Uh, the condition itself is called rod monochromatopsia. Right. Um, so Sounds like a dish I cooked once. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, it's, it's a fairly rare um, congenital disorder uh, that affects the rod cells in your eyes. So Is that the spectrum of what you can and can't see colour-wise and distance Colour is a, is a big part of it, yeah. We, we have rod cells and cone cells are the light mm -hmm. receptive cells in our eyes, and cone cells are clustered in the centre of the back of our eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, rod cells are spread around right. the perimeter of, of the back of our eye. Um, so cone cells are active in the daytime. Uh, they provide the fine point of focus in mm -hmm. the center of your vision, yep. and they, they provide your color vision. Right. Um, rod cells... Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, rod cells um, provide the, uh, the peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. And they're active at night, so they're, they're extremely light sensitive. So um, someone with rod monochromatopsia has uh, no color vision. Um, I only see with my peripheral vision. So there's so your there's direct vision is off. Yeah, there's there's no center. Um, there's a blind spot in the center of, of my okay. vision. Uh, I don't notice that. The brain cleverly covers that up. Right. Um, is that because? You were born with this condition, correct? Yeah, yeah. So your body is just adapted through... That's you know, right, that's Walking, right. growing of age, you know, going through life, and then your body's just, your brain has taught you how to deal with that, per se. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it it's can be quite obvious when, when you're very young, um, because with a blind spot in the centre of your vision, you, you are... You're Never actually looking. Yeah. <laughs> bump into shit. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of bumping into shit. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You get really good at taking a fall. Um, right. Yep. Um, okay. But, but more than that, uh, you you can't see straight ahead. So, yes. so your eyes will 
um, shake left and right to, to Make because up you're looking yeah. left and right of, of whatever you're trying to focus on and that's very pronounced when you're very young. I noticed that like in my military training and military background they went through the whole and before night vision and during whole night vision you know movement I guess of you know companies bringing out all this night vision stuff and how it worked mm. they gave us a lot of background on how the eye works um, yes. how night vision works um, and then before that, we used to train guys on how to see at night, believe it or not, in the military. Yeah, you know, I've, don't, I've direct, don't directly look at something at night because you won't be able to pick it up. You have to That's actually look to the side, left or right, or up and down, right. and you'll pick it up exactly what you're saying. So there you go. That, um, all, yeah. them, all them platoon sergeants that used to probably knock my skull against the wall, <laughs> 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 they were actually right. So. Yeah, well, there are a, a few other... Um, military references that I've um, noticed are very similar over mm, the years because mm. the other thing I didn't mention was um, you, you have an extreme sensitivity to light uh, with rod monochromatism so it's, it's as if you've spent um, about 45 minutes at least in, in a pitch black room yep. with no light uh -huh. your eyes have completely adjusted to function on your rod cells yep. um, and then that's that will not adjust for me. So, yeah. so yeah, during the day, um, there are no, there's no uh, cone cell function to right. to adjust to bright light. So a super uber bright day is your worst enemy. It's it's pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. During the day is is um is definitely the most challenging thing. So, just a touch on that. So, for the medical side, in regards to to eyewear, you'd mm. obviously have different glasses for different days. Like today being Melbourne, it's, um, yeah, looks like soup. Yeah, it's pretty gloomy out there. So, so that's okay for you to kick around with a lighter pair of glasses, I noticed you uh, Not really. I mean, I, I, I'm wearing um, custom-made uh, dark red contact lenses. Right, so that um, another filter on another that's filter. That's the first line of defence. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, and then some really good sunglasses uh, mm. are a help. Yeah, not Coles brand or Woolworths? not Coles brand. No, no. <laughs> Usually some, um, you know, very dark uh, custom Oakleys uh, okay. are quite good. But and obviously you know, the side light you have to watch wrap around yep. and all of that stuff. Um, I I've had lots of custom made sunglasses mm -hmm. that that would be way too dark to drive a car wearing or, right. or something like that. Because um, the tint would be massive, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there, there are legal issues with making sunglasses that dark, so okay. it's, it's always um, a challenge to find them dark enough and, and really... Obviously, um, you'd go to an optometrist and they would then say, ah, this is your condition, yep, okay, and then that would open a different doorway to different makers or recommendations? It, it's such an unusual disorder that um, mm. things... Uh, still being um, innovations are still being made wow uh, okay yeah w one of the interesting things is the uh, the red um, so you see red better don't you I remember well, reading or you it yeah red helps yeah okay I don't see any colour at all uh, so when I'm, I'm looking through my red contact lenses it's not doesn't look red to me what that does and this is another um, I just noticed just a not to jump forward, uh, well, I'm going to jump forward. Um, <laughs> I just remember you and I chatting on, you've, you use red and white fletching on your, on your arrows, 
and, you, and you've, you've like crested some up or you splice, you've spliced different colour, like white and reds together. Yeah. I remember reading you saying that you could pick that visually up better in flight. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, can, I can see it on the, on the slow-mo and things like that. Okay. To be honest, red just looks like black to me. Right, yeah. right. Um, and, and it goes, uh, red generally goes faster. Red yeah, that, that's, that's definitely my major motivation <laughs> for choosing red. Yeah. Um, I, I have associations with colour that have nothing to do with what the colour looks like. Um, right. So how do you, this is a bit weird, because I've had my vision my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone, like, how do you, if someone says that's green, how do you know it's green? Like, do you, it's I don't. weird. I don't know at so all. So you don't know what green technically looks like? No. I have, I have no concept of uh, every colour. If you showed me ten shades of green, mm-hmm. that's ten different colours. But you can see the shade depths. I can see you? the shade, yeah. Yes, okay. So it is a lot like uh, black and white. Yeah, right. seeing a black and white, um, a grey spectrum. So to, to sort of fold that into the, the conversation into technically and I'm, I hope the listeners don't take this the wrong way I know you won't but <laughs> deer see you know black and white black yep. and white so you would technically see you know for want of better words uh, or a better segue on what the actual from what I've seen in studies what deer see they see yeah. the different shades yeah, um, yeah so it's well, could I'd be a good thing maybe well you know it's it's uh, it's just a different perspective. Um, I know that uh, you know, deer are largely nocturnal, and, and in fact, mm. if you take a nocturnal animal like a possum, mm-hmm. um, their eyes function only on rod cells, so they, they don't have cone cells in their eyes. Right. Uh, so during the day, they're, they're seeing much like I do. Okay. It's, it's too dark at night to see colour. Colour is not a not f- there. Of, yeah, of, not of there. no real use. Um, it's too dark to see very far in the distance. But it's definitely important to have good peripheral vision for, yeah. for stuff sneaking up on you. Exactly, so especially when, yeah, when so you're yeah. a prey as such, prey animal. Exactly. I mean, I, I bought some um, uh, Hunter's Element camo I was just about to get on recently. That. So tell me, what, when you see camouflage, do you giggle a bit and you go... <laughs> That's not going to work. Because <laughs> well, like you, you're, no. you're now a spirit animal. You're alongside, you know, what our, our prey, our, our deer species. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, guys, don't look at that stuff. It's no good. <laughs> no, I, I, I think... Hey, it's explain to me, how does camouflage work with you? Like your vision on camouflage. All right, well... Um, That's interesting. I, I, I thought it was... I had a little um, chuckle myself because uh, on this jacket was a tag. It had uh, a picture spliced in you know with a line down the middle mm-hmm. it says um, what you see on the left what a deer sees on the right they should have had it in thirds what andy sees. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's exactly what the deer sees they look exactly the same to me i assume i'm assuming that that the deer is is in, in black and white and, and, and they um, see in shades yeah from what i know yeah so both of them look much the same and i think it's it's more about the um the pattern and the yeah breaking up shapes and um fooling the the depth perception and things like that yeah. so it definitely affects them, yeah, yeah I can see the effect and because you, you we spoke before the podcast started we were talking about like we physically met at the wild deer not the wild deer um, the hunt expo here mm. in Melbourne over the weekend and uh, that was the first expo sort of 
scenario as such you've, you've seen, you know, with yeah. rifles and because it was a hunting expo, it wasn't a bow hunting yeah. expo, it was a hunting expo. Um, great weekend, by the way. Uh, Absolutely. Great location. I think they should do something a little bit off subject. I think that should be more bigger and better and oh, yeah, maybe there uh, every year at a set time so, you know, we can all attend it. We, we know, yep, at this weekend it's always in Melbourne and it's at this venue and you know, people can book accommodation or two or three oh, years yeah. ahead or whatever. Mm. I think Australia needs to do that because we're absolutely everything's up and down in the air at the moment in regards to expos and hunt expos and wild deer expos. And but anyway, that's my soapbox. I'll kick that out. <laughs> um, so we met there, and, and I asked you before the podcast. I said, you know, well, how was that with you? And you said you enjoyed it. You thought it was quite a oh, it's great. Yeah, it was. It was um it was a fantastic experience. But then, then seeing all the different camo patterns to, to you know, oh, touch on. Yeah. So you, <laughs> how to, explain to me some of them, like you would see them and did, did they blob out? Did you think, oh, that's effective? Like in your personal view of what you're seeing at that moment? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's not something I have a great deal of um, experience with, but uh, I love the, I, I suppose that the, the camouflage itself um, is... You know, it's it's pretty fascinating. It's, it's I, I functional can see to how it, it works, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I can uh, see how it's not. Um, it, it's it's not what makes me buy a, a an item yes. of clothing. You know, yeah. it's the functionality. Yeah, it's extremely um, so. Yeah, but especially how does being it work? like you down here in Melbourne, and we'll get on to hunting in a minute, because um, you actually not have, have been hunting. So not yet. No, it's a, no. it's a field that you want to branch into, and obviously with your condition can be an issue as well. Yeah. Um, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that. Uh, but I'm just fascinated at the moment with the whole camouflage thing because obviously my background, hunting and military and, and whatnot, I know what works camouflage-wise and, and why things are seen and not seen in the bush, um, whether yeah. that be movement, you know. Deer will pick your movement up before they'll pick your shape up. Yeah. Unless and you're skylined or silhouetted. Uh, I assume they'll pick your scent and your yes. the, the sound up way before they, yeah. they you can pick feel your yeah, movement you can, up. Exactly. You can feel their vision you know, to a degree. And camo does work and there's some exceptionally good patterns yeah. out there. Uh, but yeah, you move and they got you. Yeah. you know, and that could be just moving your string hand or mm -hmm. going to draw your bow, especially mm -hmm. with like you and I shooting recurves and longbows. Yep. That whole, and that's the biggest thing with... I find hunting in the past, you'll get in close and, and the animal won't be aware you're there mm -hmm. and you're like, yep, I'm in the bubble, <laughs> the wind's good, I'm calm, the animal's calm, this is going to work. And as soon as you go to draw your bow or whatever, mm. bam. Yeah. You know, especially access to a chittle deer. Right. They're in the next state before <laughs> they hit the ground. So Samba are the same from little exposure I've had mm. with Samba. Uh, African critters are the same. Yeah. So that whole movement thing, they'll pick that up before you camouflage. You'll fool them a little bit being close. Right. Uh, and then scent as well. Um, scent on the ground. Yeah. You're walking scent. You, you, you're drifting scent through the wind currents. Yeah. And then obviously um, skylining yourself. Mm. That's where you camouflage mm. your help. Like if you're, you know, not standing as that human shape on a yeah. like silhouetted, whether I it be see. not silhouetted if you're standing on the like on a ridge, mm -hmm. that obviously is a silhouette. But silhouette against lights and darks, yes, um, yeah. they see that human form and they go, oh, that looks different. Yeah, whether you're put if you're pushed that. into like a bush sort of scenario with deadfall around you or whatever, 
and, and you've got cover between you, the animal, and behind you, mm. it just all blends into, and that's when a good pattern yeah. will well, work. That's interesting you, you mentioned pattern because, um, yeah, that's, there's a couple of things uh, before I forget. Um, so peripheral vision is, is much better at seeing fast moving, uh, fast movement. Yes. So if you okay. think of it like... Um, if you if you have your camera set on super high def, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the same frame rate. Yep. But if it's if it's low definition, you you can get a mm-hmm. faster mm-hmm. frame rate. Your brain can process it quicker, yeah. so it won't see it as clearly, but it will see movement mm. um, better. And go for that, yeah, yeah. So uh, especially with a, um, a prey animal, I you know you you have uh, a very wild wide. Um, field of view mm-hmm. and yeah I, I imagine they're picking up on every little uh, little movement that it's doesn't funny quite fit well funny you should say because I had the same conversation uh, explaining a quick hunt I had down at um, here last year on the sandbar me and myself uh, Rob Herbert uh, one of the other podcasting guys from Rob Herbert from RNF Blades mm-hmm. uh, him and I were hunting found this nice sandbar doe whatever um, got up on her wind was good everything was good she was perfect situation I drew I was not rushed she wasn't didn't know I was there wind was good perfect setup for a shot you know she was like 15 odd meters sort of on and below me as well on a little bench below me and I was up on a higher mm. bench Herbie's watching me I drew my bow anchored picked a spot perfect shot let it go and because she was quartering away and I was only highlighted this fact on the weekend um, Toby told me, um, he was a guy I was chatting to about, he thinks that, because the, the end state was that, that high and she jumped out of the way. And he, really? he reckons that she's probably seen the arrow coming in her provisional, which what you just said. Yeah. Um, so she's seen that arrow coming and just instinctively gone, oh, I'm going to get out of here. And she ducked it, turned, yeah. and arrow completely missed her, which is a better of, you know, a bad situation. I rather went through her lungs, which where it was going. And, and it was like a laser beam. Like, right. And I shoot, you know, a, a quiet, super quiet bow, um, mm. 620 or 640 grain arrows. So mm. they're quite heavy uh, and a 65 pound recurve. So that is moving and it's quiet and it's like a flying yeah. log going towards her. But she's seen that in the corner of her eye in a provisional. Perfect. Peripheral. Peripheral, that's it. <laughs> One too many coffees, or not enough. <laughs> um, so she's seen that coming from her right-hand side, and it's it's arcing in on her. Mm. Like, she wouldn't have seen me or the bar or anything, because it was a perfect setup, like I said, but she's seen that, and instinctively, like you said, mm. picks that up and gone bang. So, yeah. interesting. I mean, I wonder, um, even though the bow is, is very quiet, and I, and I know that, um, you know, long bows, and when they're perfectly tuned they're, mm. they're, they're real they quiet. seem whisper almost quiet. whisper quiet silent to us but mm. uh, picking out an unfamiliar sound yeah um, even if it's a faint one like a um, dull thud yeah just and something that doesn't they're hearing as well from yeah. what I know of Sam like they got these ears that are like dishes yeah they're always <laughs> alert yeah and hearing is one of those things that um, you know you can hear around corners you can hear behind you you, mm. you mm. know it's you just know you get used to that well, I certainly know from um, my personal experience uh, as a vision impaired person that, that hearing is essential for me when I'm 
when I'm walking. Uh, now, I've read somewhere years ago that um, if one of your human senses are, are, are dulled, like yourself, mm. like has been conditioned down, just that's the way you were born, yep. other senses pick up. So you're, like you just said, your hearing and, yeah. your, and your touch and all that and, and even your smell to a degree can oh, just sort of carry the weight of that other sense being well, down. Well, what I would say is... Uh, your your ears don't become more sensitive. You you just become better at interpreting uh, that yeah, that yeah. Um, information because you simply have more practice. Listening at it. to yeah. yeah, you you have to rely on it more. Yeah, so yeah. any anyone can train that, um, but you it's very hard. Not I mean we're a visual mm, we um, species. Yeah. Where we live in a visual society, and and uh, and it's it's hard to turn that off and mm. uh, tune into those other senses but um, when you're forced to you you definitely get uh, better at interpreting that information and um, that could work well in the field well I, I think that's where you know it's it's not always as clear-cut as um, you know if you if your vision is uh, if you're losing your vision, mm -hmm. or, or yeah, that that's um, something you're you're coping with. Uh, that it's it's not all bad. No, there there are there are other ways. You're still breathing. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the moment that, and this this will lead into you know why I shoot um, instinctively and mm -hmm. traditional uh, gear. Um, if you rely on following the the crowd of, of um, you know, if I rely on my vision mm -hmm. to to shoot, if I use bow sights, uh, things like that, then then my vision is is my primary sense. Yep. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm at a disadvantage. Yeah. I'm not going to shoot as well as someone with better vision. So that to go back into the archery side of things, a, a compound bow and sights would probably be quite a difficult yeah, aspect. Yeah. It's mechanical mechanicalism to shoot. You know, like the. Using and I, again, I'm not. I'm very limited in my knowledge of shooting sights and, and, and mm. like a compound. Um, it prioritizes that, yeah. your vision. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Using a sight prioritizes your. And your you don't vision. have that. And it's not possible for me to see the the um, target pins on yeah. a sight. I don't use uh, gap shooting because I can't clearly, you know. I mean, I can see the tip of my arrow, mm -hmm. but. Once again, I'm prioritising my, my vision so in that situation, so it's it's not playing to my strength. Um, another example might be, uh, you know, I've always loved martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend that's a terrific boxer. Mm -hmm. I love to put the boxing gloves on and and um, spar with with him um, from time to time, but. Uh, that is uh, a really, really challenging um, style of martial arts to... Because the focus of someone being... It's very, very close. visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only that, but, um, you know... Reading body language and, and movements and Well, patterns. all of that is done visually, uh, whereas the, the styles that of martial art that I've been um, drawn to are things like uh, Wing Chun, Kung Fu, and um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and, yep. and things like that. Uh, Wing Chun is... is really similar to to boxing um it's very um it's based on 
you know, what works, mm-hmm. what's practical. A big difference is uh, you prioritize your sense of touch. So at, at any moment you are trying to put some fingertips on your opponent mm. and, and I'm able to read body language through touch. Touch is three times faster your reflex to touch is, yeah. is much faster than your reflex to vision. Yeah. You think of it like a your vision is a wireless connection. Mm. Touch, you've got the the cable plugged in. Plugged, yeah. It's direct to Quicker. your nervous system. Yeah. Um, and and that's where most you know, even you see boxes, it's it's impossible to to stay separated all the time. But with big gloves on, that's yeah. like a, a blindfold on, on your hands. That would so do. yeah, yeah. So that that's um that's just another way that it you know, uh, a connection between martial arts and, and I've just had this archery. vision, and I know you won't take this the wrong way. It's just my <laughs> smart-ass humour. But <laughs> that 1960s show was it? Was he the bald guy called Kung Fu? Do you have you ever? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you'd be like Zatoichi. Uh, you'd be like a yeah <laughs> a modern day kung fu guy where you just walk the earth with a staff and <laughs> <laughs> preaching poetry and <laughs> well, I mean, rid the world of bad guys. Yeah, I don't know. My, my poetry's a bit uh, a bit off, a bit yeah. lame. Mine too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I try not to do any preaching, but um, no, it's just just a visual that I got. And yeah, yeah the listeners are probably going, God, Al, you're just terrible. Man. <laughs> So, yeah, well, I, I have to pull my own smart-ass humour off sometimes. No, no. <laughs> so moving along, like, explain to me now, and the, and the people that shoot, you know, traditional gear and whatnot that are probably now questioning how... Talk me through your draw. We'll get on to how you got into sure. archery in a minute, but talk me, while we're on the subject of you shooting and what you see, talk me through your, like, your draw cycle on, on you setting up on a target, because okay. I, I know how I shoot, and I won't yep. explain that. I want to know how you shoot, setting up sure. on, like where you like you got a back quiver, hip quiver. You don't use a bow quiver, do you? I use them all. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. going I, from I, that, like you obviously can knock an arrow and all the rest of it. Yeah. You're not like we said, uber super duper blind. No, <laughs> no, not uber and then blind. It's, no. it's more so your your shot process and and I'm people look at me in the coffee shop going that guy's doing weird things with his arm but <laughs> how you you know you're drawing a bow and how you and then siding in and, and explain yeah, me that okay or the listeners um, as well well i'll start by uh you know my my um interest in traditional archery and particularly hunting with traditional gear um one of the big uh draw cards is well the distance is good mm. um mm. 20 meters or less is yeah is nice manageable yeah you know for me um i'm not gonna see uh you know a um a dandelion at at 20 meters Mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm out stumping or something like that but I, i will see a tree stump i will see a you know um i don't use when i'm at the range i don't use colored target faces that's just too visually confusing so i keep it nice and simple um but I can see a, you know, uh, a paper cup at at, at twenty meters, right. um, uh, and it's certainly not uh, what what I assume you would see say is a clear yeah. vision of that. But yep. it it's there and it stands out against um, a contrasting background. So, so without being able to see the target, I you know I haven't experimented with trying to hit a bell with a blindfold on yet. 
but okay. you know that maybe that's something to, to work on. But so I haven't found a solution to to being able to see what hit what you can't see. Mm. So I still need to see it. Yeah. Um, ideal situations for me though uh, is, is shooting at night, um, in you know without lights. Mm. Um, so uh, if the moon's out and uh, you know. Great shooting time. Unilluminated target, yeah. and and I'm I'm very comfortable. Um, I've noticed in the dark. you over the some of your your posts on Instagram and that uh, you use is it nocturnal knocks or the yeah is that the yeah, brand yeah nocturnal not to give them a, fl- a flog or a, <laughs> a no, plug no. they're, they're I, great. I've not um, used them. I'm, I'm, Luminox and nocturnal knocks, yeah. wha- whatever um, I can find. They're great. Um, they're good for you visually. They're actually a bit bright, to be honest. Okay, I could I could. Um, I use them to take long exposure. Yeah, they're um, quite. Uh, they make a good photo, don't they? They do. Mm. It's fascinating to see the the arrow in flight. Oh, yeah. um, it's a beautiful to, thing. To see little uh, tuning defects or form defects um, mm. in that long exposure. They'd highlight um, it. Yeah, makes it a lot easier to find them when yeah. they they <laughs> go missing. Um, so yeah, that that's a lot of fun. Uh, but probably. Um, more comfortable without any kind of, of light. Um, so then seeing the target... Uh, so you st- you're doing a normal archery stance, like side-on? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've found that, uh, you know, hunting has always been my, my goal to build up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something I'm in a rush to to, to leap into before mm-hmm. I, I understand it well. Um, it can be a hell well. of a curve, yeah. Um, and so it's it's been a long road, and there's plenty more to go. And uh, I, I enjoy experimenting with, you know, I try not to stick to one stance, or you know. Um, You're not uh, going to get that in hunting environments exactly anyway. That's what I yeah. assume. Yeah. Um, so I I try not to get into a. This is another way that music plays a, a part, and this is certainly a, a theme in martial arts as well of of not um, not getting stuck in a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Of um, you know being able to snap shoot, being able to hold your at full draw yep. for a long time. Um, Quick shots, long shots. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so being flexible in that way. Um, so seeing the target, drawing. Um, I mean, good form is really important to me because I find that that is a, a real. Um, it's a staple of, of something I can rely on if if I keep my form. And um, that that goes with anything in, in not well any anything, f- whether it be martial arts, um, weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, or anything mm. like that. Weight and speed and, and all that will come if you've got the mechanics of form wise down yeah. pat. And I'll say that from a, an Olympic uh, weightlifting point of view, which you know I've done myself. If your form's right and everything's and you're moving well. Mm it'll all fall into place. But if your form's crap and your technique's crap, it's just going to pull you left, right and centre. Um, yeah. So, and that would be the same, it is the same with archery. If your form's good, and then it rolls into that. So. Yeah. Also not not having um, excellent vision to, to kind of uh, compensate for maybe a, a bit of mm. laziness in, in form. Well, I just, I can put the sight on the, on the target and, yeah. and it doesn't have to be You'd really the form have doesn't have to be perfect, but for me, it's something I really rely on. And your concentration levels would be way up there, trying to like dealing with the condition you have and, and using 
Yeah, what sort you've got to try and get arrows on target without looking directly at a target. So where do you look when you when you're anchoring? When I'm anchoring, uh, I still I'm I'm focusing on the target. Um, I mean, we all know the the saying to to aim small. Yep, aim um, small, miss small. Yeah. That. That kind of doesn't roll with well, you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, I definitely use that concept, but it, it's more um, that small point is is in my mind, okay. not not um, something that I can focus on visually. So, it it might be, um, uh, yeah, just seeing the larger object like the the tree stump or the three D mm. target, and then. Focusing mentally on the centre of that, on a, you know, on a spot per se. Yeah, yeah, on a spot that I know is there. That you know you, and from experience of shooting, you know, for whatever time frame, and that's what traditional archery is all about. Of, of that mind pattern of, yep, I know that's where my, I'm going to aim because my bow will arc, or the arrow will arc into that area. Mm. So yeah, okay. Um, but I think the the real. Uh, the most important thing I focus on is the, the feeling of my body aligning to that target. Okay. Yeah. Um, the the bow hand pushing into. Um, I mean, that's that's Your my form. sight. Yeah. yeah. That if anything is a sight, that it's my bow arm, my bow hand mm -hmm. um, pushing towards the target. So, uh, if I if I go and collect the arrows, they're a bit low. It's it's not about aiming visually higher. It's about feeling my my body pushing mm. a bit higher. Okay. Um, Just a, the mental awareness of of where your arms pointing. Yeah. Because I've again, and I, I, not to talk about me, but I'm going to talk about me. Um, <laughs> in the past, I've I do a lot of what they, you know, blind bail shooting where I'll I'll mm. get in front of like a big you know yep. target I can't miss. Yep. And I'll be you know six foot from it, and I'll knock an arrow, visually close my eyes, draw anchor, and I'm not picking a spot or anything, I'm just going through the mechanics, yeah. the feeling of my body and going, yep, that feels good, making sure I've got back tension, I'm anchoring correctly and all that, and then releasing and following through, and, and then I, I, I don't even register where the arrow's gone. Yeah. Obviously you look and you go, oh, I hit the target, wow. Um, but it's not, a, it's, not an actu actu sorry, it's not an accuracy thing. It's more of a form thing. So exactly, that's yeah. how I've trained in the past to, to really hone. Because it, it's different. And we used to do it in the military where we'd break down and, and, and pull apart and put weapons back together again, blindfolded. And people, right. you know, they go, oh, that's a myth. I said, no, we really did that. Yeah. You know, we would get five or six different weapon systems from pistols, your service rifle, machine guns, whatever pull them all apart, mm. put them in a big bucket of water, like a massive big plastic wow. tub of water, fill it full of water, uh, and then blindfold someone, and have someone stand there with a hose and hosing them, and then go, okay, <laughs> put them all back together. Wow. <laughs> so you're going by feel, because mm. if you're in a jungle or, or whatever environment, you've somehow got to put a weapon back together. But it, it's not so much of that, it's more so just being so familiar with that weapon yeah. system in your hands that you know at any point in time, oh, yep, that's a part of the M79, or that's I part of the 203. Or I can relate to that. Yeah, um, so. It's that, uh, it's, it's the proprioception. It, it's the ability to, to feel your mind where your body is yeah. in space uh, so that would be without a big, looking at it. Yeah, a big concept of your shooting. You know, you, you're yeah. feeling where that hand, that 
arrow, sorry, your, your bow hand is pointing. Yeah, and um, and feeling where your string um, is uh, aligned as your well, body. because yep. you, obviously you're you're looking down your bow arm, but but um, being aware of where your feet are, where your hips are, mm -hmm, where your mm -hmm. shoulders are aligned, um, feeling that uh, engagement in your back muscles, um, all of that is is your proprioception, your sense of touch from, from the inside mm. of your body, mm. um, feeling your nervous system align, and and that can be extended to, to objects uh, as well. So uh, one thing I focus on is, you know, um, shooting the arrow, not, yep. the, not the bow. So feeling that the arrow um, in between my string hand and bow hand, yeah, uh, and that that forms a a huge um, basis of of my shot process, like well, um, concentrating on the feel. Yeah, well that's that's, uh, and a lot of you know a lot of archers and good archery coaches will incorporate that as well. Um, you would have heard the term. Or you may have heard the term "become the arrow," and mm. that, that archer in America, Byron Ferguson, he sort of coined yeah. that phrase because he is a hell of a shot. Like, yes. I don't know whether you've seen yes, some of his I stuff. Have. He is yeah. amazing, <laughs> and yeah, I've he's out. And if, for the listeners, if you want to see some really good uh, archery, you could call it trick shooting, but it's um, it's it's he is is phenomenal. Like he'll shoot some of the stuff he's done. He'll shoot aspirins out yeah, of the air I've with the longbow that. and. And I'm Incredible. not talking like a, a 30 pound longbow. He uses like a 60, 70, 70 pound, 70 pound longbow, longbow yeah. and big heavy aluminium arrows. And he gets in front of a black sheet and he's, mm. you know, he, and he, he tapers down to an aspirin, but like he'll start at a disc and yeah. then he'll go to a smaller disc and then a, a big coin and then a small coin. And then his wife will throw up an aspirin yeah. in the air and he uses a blunt. And, you'll, and they slow the footage down and that aspirin just goes to powder as you see this big it's arrow. Incredible. It's amazing to think that yeah. someone can tune their eye and, and their shooting ability and, and so many variables in shooting a stick bow or a long bow, yep. like from anchor, you know, hand placement, all the rest of it, and visualising that arrow, sorry, the aspirin coming through the air and then being able to, lining up a moving arrow to a moving mm. a aspirin, mm. not like a moving disc, but an aspirin, which is like, you know, the size of your thumbnail. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. It's amazing shots. Like, so anyone listening, jump on Google or, or um, YouTube. I think he's got some stuff on YouTube, but he's done some amazing shots. And Absolutely. He coined the phrase of, yeah, becoming the arrow and visualising your arrow path and obviously the mental side of visualisation and sports visualisation, which is a whole mm. other rabbit warren that we could go down. But he's big on that as well, like visualising doing good shots. Yes. You know, positive yeah. reinforcement. Um, and confidence, obviously, with, is key in which, you know, I've always said, if you're shooting well and you're confident, you'll always shoot well. If you're not confident yep. in your gear for whatever reason, whether it be you're worried about your anchor, your short drawing, um, are these arrows any good? Am I, is my spine good? Um, have I got knock issues or whatever? Mm. They, can, they can, you know, affect your, your confidence in shooting. And for you, you'd have to be, like, super uber confident in knowing to put arrows on target more so if you want to get into the hunting side which we'll get yeah, on to in a minute yeah absolutely um i mean it's brian ferguson's skill of of uh, plucking aspirin out of the air is, is is quite incredible um and you couldn't do that without uh a really fine tuned sense of of um proprioception of, of um timing and 
but also, you know, obviously you need to see that aspirin mm. as, as well. So Always uh, a plus. Yeah, always a plus. <laughs> yeah, trick shooting is not, um, so, or, you know, I don't, I don't really cool. believe in trick shooting no, it's because it's a, it's a, it's a uh, there's no trick to it. No, um, that's just it's hours. It's just practice and... Is yeah, no one gifts you that kind of ability. No, it's not you a have trick to learn it. It's not a magic trick. No, really. it's it's, he's um, it's a terrible. T- I suppose that's sort of a phrase. It's tricky. From <laughs> it's tricky. Maybe it's sort of like a whole, you know, nineteen eighties, you know, yeah. trick shooting six shooter style. Yeah, that's where that yeah. terminology might have come from. Well, that know, that um, calamity Jane and all that sort of thing. That kind of shooting is a great, and uh, you know, shooting from the hip um, mm. is is another. You know, very obvious form of instinctive shooting, shooting where yeah. you you have to um, feel. You know, it's 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 very closely linked to your sense of touch. Mm. Uh, so for me, pl- plucking tiny things out of the air is is not something I'll um, ever be able to do as an archer. Mm. But uh, putting a an arrow. Um, on a target yeah. within uh, you know a very accurate small space is something that's possible yeah. because the target itself is big enough to see yeah. and, and that spot can be very uh, small mm. in your mm. mind and and you can find that spot and it's I think um, it's one of the beauties about uh, archery it's such an accessible sport um, I, it's I one of man's oldest sports apart from running and wrestling and yeah, sort of well, yeah. I mean, it's. I I don't think of it as a sport, to be honest. It 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 fits into the same category as as martial arts to me, and I think the well, sporting you, you aspect of it is. You could nearly brand it as a martial arts if you look at the Japanese I think it is, side of thing. Yeah, they, you know, they class it as a martial arts. Well, yeah. I think it is. You're Chinese, using your yeah. body uh, to, uh, and and the um, extension of the bow and arrow is is mm. an extension of your body, and and um, if you don't master the the physical aspects of it and the mental aspects of it then you know certainly like uh same within martial arts the the sport side of things is um can be really beneficial yep. you're, you're working under pressure you're um you're dealing with nerves and adrenaline you're um you're getting good data and feedback on on yep. how you're shooting but mm. uh unlike a sport i f- i think that um there's no winning and losing in, in an art form, and uh, all you're trying to do is is be honest and express yourself honestly. And I think archery is is a one sport where it will express its dishonesty with you if you haven't been honest in your training. So absolutely, it'll <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very obvious that very way. obvious yeah. when you've you've done a few shots and you haven't shot for a while. More so with uh, you know traditional archery and and, and whatnot shooting stick bows yeah you get there and you go yeah i haven't shot for a couple of weeks oh that's very <laughs> telling why <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's it's a good uh, good teacher in yeah, yeah i need to shoot more often well that's it's a fascinating thing about archery and, and one of the reasons why it's it's so um i find it so uh mentally conditioning is you know the the feedback is is so immediate it is. You, you know what you're trying to instant do. Instant gratification or instant you n- dissatisfaction. Exactly. You know how far <laughs> away yeah. that arrow landed from where you intended it to. Yep. And, and that data is very, very um, obvious. Now, uh, for me, I know most times when I've done a good shot or a bad shot 
millisecond. The, mm. the, the arrow's probably just left the riser, and I know very mm. rarely I'll get a false reading on that because I've shot so much in my life. Right. But I'll, I'll know as soon as that arrow's, the knock's just past the riser, that's going to be a money shot. And do you yeah. get that same feeling with I, I your do. visual? Yeah, well, with, with how it feels, yeah, how it sounds okay. as well. Um, yeah. Sound is, is a huge part of it. Uh, I mean, I, I'll use... I suppose, and to be a smart-ass again, if you're shooting at a target and you don't hear nothing, you didn't hit it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, that's it, yeah. Um, I use different materials on a target to uh, to let me know when I'm, I'm on the, the sweet spot. Yep. Um, shooting okay. a paper cup is great. Yep. Uh, tin you can, can hear would be that the same. Thick tin yep. can sh stumping is, is fantastic. There's well, in the rifle better. shooting, yep. yeah, rifle shooting world... And my son actually told me this because they made some link between hearing that clang of the metal mm, target mm. to the endorphins in your head. Oh, absolutely. So right. yeah, guys on shooting ranges, whether it be combat shooting, long range shooting, pistol shooting, and they're hearing that doing, doing, or the target. Yeah. The terminology's pretty crap, doing. Doing, clink, doing, clang, yeah, ping, ping, whatever. <laughs> it's a mental sort of endorphin going yes yeah hit, it's hit, reinforcement hit, hit, yeah. positive reinforcement right and, there. and it happens so quickly after you've felt that good mm. shot uh, and release and it's and a good coach it's and you, if you miss you can go ah what did I do wrong yeah so yeah instantly eva evaluating your shot process mm. and if you're on you're going yep I knew it was a good shot so you're, yeah. you're enforcing those good shot techniques into your psyche into your, into your mental approach um, your subconscious of shooting and then you're more, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm. It's interesting you, you mentioned um, Japanese archery, uh, Kudo. Uh, I love the philosophy of, of oh, it's Kudo. Amazing. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's hundreds, thousands of years old. And they've been, mm. Yeah. And their bows are so crazy different. They from what are we're used to. fascinating. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a lefty. Um, my, my vision is, is much weaker in my right eye. So I'm right handed, but I shoot lefty. And, and okay. um, I, I think they. Kudo practitioners have a lot of superstition about shooting lefties. They don't. They don't let you shoot lefties. So, so that's trying to beat that, it out of you. That's a that's Do a it. bit of a downside. But I'll still give it a go one day for sure. Um, I love the the philosophy of uh, a perfect arrow doesn't even have to hit the target. Um, I know that sounds bizarre, but sometimes you know you can you can release an arrow and think ugh. That was rough. Yeah. And then, oh, it, it, it landed dead center. Yes, I've done that. Should I be happy with that or not? Well, you know, you just jagged it. Yeah. You just pulled yeah. that out of your ass. Yeah. And it's but just landed there to sheer yeah. left-handed of God moved it one way or the other. Yeah, it, it wasn't an honest arrow. Uh, yeah. And, and sometimes I think I'll release an arrow and I think, God, that's a beautiful, smooth feeling and a nice, quiet like I felt it through the bow. I think it's gone low left. I think it's gone two and a half inches low and mm. two and a half mm. inches left. And there it is, right where I, I thought, I it, thought went. it went. And but you can adjust that with your aim. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just a mental thing. I I believe that that I put it there. Yeah. I should have put it in the middle, mm -hmm. but it it went exactly where I. You know, um, where I was 
wanting to put it in in a way like so it's, it's good it's but a good not, arrow not super good uber good so tell me now about like you set up like you're saying you're left and right handed and all the rest but tell me what what's your current i know you we spoke walking here in the like freezing cold melbourne weather outside it's not only a popsicle <laughs> but <laughs> tell me about uh you so you collected a few bows over the years um what are you shooting at the moment what's your sort of go-to setup i know you're sort of keen on bears yeah the the bear takedown is definitely my my go-to um is it for travel obviously the partly takedown? yeah look i'm um obviously i can't drive uh i'm i'm a member of um Yarra Bowman, a great archery club here in Melbourne. I heard it's a really nice. Beautiful range. outdoor yeah. range, a big, just a big open field. I love right being outdoors. It's not far from the city, is it? It's not too far. I mean, okay. it still takes me over an hour, and a, a tram and a bus, and you know, um, a fairly decent walk. Uh, but um, you all of that is place. part of the, the journey. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. exercise. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, However, I do I do have to catch public transport, um, so so portability is one thing. But um, honestly, you know, I I love the profile of a one-piece bow, mm -hmm. a, a long bow or a recurve, and I was never too keen on on getting into um, takedowns just because of the the. Um, The symmetry of it all. The mm. Yeah. Oh, you can't uh, beat a beautiful one-piece long bow. No, or, I don't think yeah. so. It's um, a very romantic sort of bow. Same with the recurve. Like a one-piece recurve is... Absolutely. They, they, they're quite pleasing on the eye. Um, yeah. Takedowns are... You know, and there's some beautiful takedowns out there, don't get me wrong. And I shoot a couple of them myself. Mm. Um, but the, the portability of them, travelling and whatever, well, is just what they made. you can't beat that, yeah. Uh, but honestly, it's, it's, um, it's more than that. I think for the, for the bear takedown that I... I I shoot. I shoot the the A and the B riser. I, I okay. shoot the long and short limbs. Mm -hmm. I, I have vintage um, number two limbs that I like to shoot as well. I've got a, yep. a a vintage C riser, which is the target bow, and and that's um, real joy to shoot as well. Uh, what poundage are you, you shooting, mate? I shoot at the range. I, I shoot um, thirty-five to to forty. Okay, that's a good way. And uh, and then when I'm Practicing for for stumping and things like that, uh, forty five okay. to to close to fifty on the A riser. So, right. Yeah. Um, but I like to. I think part of training your your instinctive um, approach is is just lots of reps, lots and lots of reps, mm. and and spending time at full draw and feeling the subtleties of your anchor point, of your uh, engagement of your back, mm -hmm. of all your joints, spending time in those positions uh, and not being stressed um, while you're doing it. Yeah, uh, it shouldn't be a struggle. It should finding be, that yeah. relaxed state and just getting lots of reps um, and, and trying not to let fatigue uh, you know, affect your form. Mm. And it can do, obviously, because it's a physical sport. It's but endurance. I, yeah, I'll say that to a lot of people like, getting into traditional archery or move, wanting to move up in bow weight or, or, or any of that sort of, you know, genre sort of conversations as such. Mm. But you, you, I say to people, holding a, a bow at full draw, 
it shouldn't be a struggle. You shouldn't be shaking. It should be like a firm, solid, like you're holding something, like a you know a bucket of water at your side. Mm. It's just there. The weight's there. Yeah. But it shouldn't be wanting to own you. You need to own that. You you're yep. shooting the bow. The bow isn't shooting you. Exactly. So, yeah, and that's how you build up to different weights and, and time and, and a whole heap of other. You know, that's a conversation we can have another time. Yeah, that sort yeah. Of thing. But look, it took. It took me a long time to feel comfortable, uh, even at you know 45, and and I have a, a few um, bows, 50, 50 plus. But uh, I think after after five odd years, like mm. uh, you know, my my back muscles have started to, to yeah, feel much better at those weights. Mm. Um, but and that's that higher end weight that you're talking about. That's that's reasonable for for deer. That's you put yes. the arrow where it's got to go. Right. You do everything right with a well-tuned arrow, sharp broadhead. You put it in the money, and it'll, it'll kill them dead. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, and the reason, I've always shot. Not always. I've built up to shooting the weights I shoot between 60 and 65 pound bows, because mm-hmm. that is comfortable for me. Yeah. But I keep fit. Uh, yeah. I, I, I live an active lifestyle, and I've shot bows a lot of years, and I believe my form's pretty good. In, mm-hmm. in, and I look after my shoulders through mobility exercises um yeah and and obviously the crossfit background that i got olympic weightlifting background i know how to look after my body to in order for me to do that the average guy that doesn't do that is going to probably struggle and then you've got your you know exceptions to the rule that some guys are just naturally strong that don't need to train mm. and they can hold heavy weights but there's difference between being strong and being able to hold and shoot about that anchor at yeah. that, sorry at that weight so. I, I also think um you know uh is coming back to martial arts again. I mean, in, in jiu-jitsu and, and, and Wing Chun, it's, it's so... They're, they're martial arts for the smaller the smaller competitors. So what yeah. do you do when you're not the strongest in, in those situations? You time up with technique, don't you? Yeah, you mm. need technique. And mm. if you're a big, strong individual learning those styles, the tendency is to, to fall back on your strength. strength yeah. And your technique will suffer. So you might be able to muscle that that 70 pound bow into mm. into your anchor and, and hold it there and, and everything like that but but I don't really believe that um, archery is is a strength based sport it's it's, um, it's finding tech. that yeah. ability to relax all those mm. uh, unneeded you know you don't need tension in your forearms or um, you, you don't want tension in your shoulders uh, and, and putting it where the tension where it needs to be, um, it's something that you can feel much better with a, with a draw weight that's that's uh, more suited to yeah. you. And the other thing is, I find with with low poundage bows, and, and I like to to break out a thirty pound bow, and yeah. um, you have to be much more smooth in your release. Yeah. Um, much more solid with your technique and your, your instinctive aim because the, the drop will be exaggerated. Well, I only had this conversation with Ben last night, Ben Ma, and yeah. I often break out. I've got a very old, one of my first bows was a 35-pound Ben Pearson bow that I oh, bought wow. when I was eight yeah. or nine off the kid down the street. Well, yeah. I still got it. And I still, I just, I hardly ever, ever shoot it because I just don't want it to ever blow up, but it looks still fine. Mm. Um, but I'll put it, I'll, get that down I'll string it put an arrow and again I'll just draw 
yeah. and then just memory cycle of yep mm. that I'm doing it right because there's hardly any weight on it I'm used to drawing high poundages mm. but then I'd halve that poundage weight and drawing into anchor and I'm like oh yeah that, that yep I'm doing it good that then that, that memory mu sorry that muscle memory uh, is then still embedded right I'm still getting that good um, subconscious of movement yeah absolutely I mean your release has to be really smooth yep. because yep. the string is it's so is light not yeah. yeah under as much tension and and that's the other thing as well like uh, the the feedback I get um, the tactile feedback I get from the bow mm. is is easier to uh, to read so if you think of um, plucking the string on a double bass on a big upright bass uh, it's it's moving much slower and much further the vibration is mm -hmm. is easier to interpret um, and plucking the string on a, a violin is, is going to different. to be harder to feel it's it's yeah. a much finer vibration and, and it won't last as long so so you get well I, I get much more um, feedback through my bow arm okay when I'm shooting a That's interesting. I've never weight yeah I've never looked at that I should probably run some self tests on that when I get home <laughs> <laughs> you see me run around the yard with a blindfold on. <laughs> <laughs> Al, that's not what I said. <laughs> You're doing it wrong, Al. <laughs> My neighbours already shake their head at me anyway, so. <laughs> and that's when I'm clothed. <laughs> um, to move on to hunting now, like I know mm. we've spoken that you, you, you're keen to get into the hunting side of things and you haven't really had the opportunity as such. I've sort of pose some questions to you just quickly over the last couple of days when we yeah. were chatting at the expo um, you know like blood trailing and also movement through the bush personally like I've spent years and years and years and done it for a living moving through the bush quietly because uh, you're obviously yes. hunting a deer uh, yes. or you know a game animal whether it be pigs, goats, mm. even rabbits for you or, or anybody so you know rates of movement so we used to call it in the military um, the, you know, the line of drift, as we used to call it as well, of okay. moving through foliage. Like you see a, uh, like an avenue or a corridor where you would go, I'll just walk through there. And we used to call them natural lines of drift in the, in the army because okay. that's where you go, people are going to walk through there. Yeah. So, and depending on where you were, you would not walk through there or you would walk through there or you I would see. ambush it or anything like that. So animals do the same. They'll walk generally the easiest path. Yeah. Um, path of least resi resistance um, so I then think in my mind how you are going to I guess navigate for want of a better word through that environment um, and obviously I don't I can't see you first up just driving to the high country and parking your car and going right I'm going hunting because I personally think about your, your safety being because of your um, your condition yeah um, well, so I certainly won't be driving up there. That's no, you won't yeah. yeah. be driving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You get a long so Uber ride. So it would be dropping me off. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so I, I guess you'd have to take that into consideration. You'd have to take into consideration, yeah. obviously, you know, spotting the animals and being in, in an environment where, and I, I guess, it would come down to maybe being with a mentor as such, because well, obviously a mentor helps you get into archery. But not talking archery, I'm talking actual hunting side of things. Is that how you sort of envisaged? Yeah, look, it's all hypothetical at the moment. Um, it's it's something that hunting is. Uh, I didn't necessarily expect to, you know, like I said before, it's it's the the love of 
the traditional bow that, that drew mm. me to archery and then suddenly hunting has become this um, like just extension fascinating extension yeah. of that that, that I, I really um, look forward to to exploring and, and getting yeah. into and yeah. and um, and honestly the taking of, of an animal the harvesting of an animal is is um, not my top priority uh, being in the field with a bow. Being in the field with a bow and and learning um, as much as I can about where my strengths and, and weaknesses are mm. before I attempt anything like that yep. is, is at the top of the list. Um, and it, it, for you, it'd be a hell of a steep learning curve because you've already come through it. Like you, you've got the mechanics down of the weaponry, whether it be mm. you know whether be a person be a rifle hunter or a crossbow hunter or whatever. You've you've chosen your weapon. What mm. do you want to use? So, you, and you're mastering that to a degree, well, not to a degree. So, you you'll might have to like then look at broadhead selection and that sort of thing, and, yeah. and arrow weight, and, and to the hunting side of it, not yes. the archery side. Yes. And that all obviously has to work well. In then, in order to then, when that moment of truth comes up, when you know you presented a good shot on it, whether it be a deer or a goat or you know a rabbit mm. or, or whatever, or you know pig, then to, to obviously shoot the animal and make a clean, quick kill because that's, that's, that's what we we're aiming to do. So that in itself is a learning curve where, you know, you're going to have to... Yeah, look, it's it's going to be interesting, um, but my priority is to... Uh, is to do that right and, yeah. and ethically and um, it's not something I'm going to uh, just rush to in, do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's a, if an it's experience-based right, thing. Yeah. yeah. If it's not right, then it's. And you can't. I'm buy okay it. with that. Yeah. yeah. That's um, it's a type of experience where, like any experience, you you can't buy it. You you just got to earn it, earn your stripes in the bush, and and you know it's it, that just comes with time. A bit like playing music, a bit like martial arts, um, shooting a bow. The hunting side of thing is you just learn so much each time you go out. Giving if you get you know going out with good people, good mentors, because mm. I'm I'm guessing that that's what you're aiming to do sort of absolutely you go out with someone and, and someone willing enough to say hey yep i've got time for andy i'll, I'll take him out and yeah not so much guide you but just for want of a better word but more so just point you around the bush and explain Look, things I, to you and i think anyone that's that's going out to hunt needs a mentor needs oh, to sure. seek yeah. out that, you that don't, expert advice you can't all get it from um, instagram surprisingly no and and <laughs> You know, you hear a lot of stories about um, people uh, picking up their first compound bow and shooting half a dozen arrows in the shop mm. and then heading out that afternoon to, to grab themselves a, an animal before mm. they know how to, how to, to yeah. butcher or how to, and then to do anything like that. Um, what happens to the animal and you got it on the ground, you know? Yeah, look, all of that is, is um, part of the, the great appeal to yep. me. Uh, I'm not sure how it's it's going to to work out. Um, I think it, it'll, but I, honestly, my gut feeling is it, it will work out for you because you seem like to me a guy that can make things happen, very unassumingly, sort of mm. way. You sort of got that, and I guess it's having a condition like you know you see people that you know they they com compete in Olympics with all sorts of ailments, whether it be missing limbs, eyesight, hearing, whatever. Exactly. And they've got that far just through hard work and determination. And Yeah. You know, so I'm sure that you'd have no, you know. Well, like I alluded to earlier, you, you know, if I, um, if I was to approach the, the whole scenario 
the same as you, for example, um, and it, then yeah, it's a, it's a definite disadvantage. Mm. Uh, but there are there are ways that um, by finding your own approach, yeah, y- you can start to to really turn things to to your advantage oh, and sure, yeah. to to find um, ways to adapt. Um, obviously, low light is uh, you know, I mean, I love playing frisbee with my friends in the dark because <laughs> you, all you of a win. sudden the tables are turned <laughs> you know and i see them do you get a little I, bit nasty and like i do i like to fling it real hard right <laughs> I, at, I would yeah yeah and <laughs> catch this with your teeth well yeah <laughs> exactly you know well look i see the same um reactions uh in reverse that that i have during the day yes where, yeah. whereas yeah, i see them s- pick up that frisbee at the very last moment and, and freak out. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and so, you know, my reaction time is, is quite <laughs> good in that, in that sense. Um, but I, I know from, from years of, of hanging around uh, my close friends that, you know, my ability to, to function in, in very low light is... Um, That's some of the best hunting. ...is quite comfortable, yeah. you know, and... Uh, I think... I th- yeah. I th- that, and that's, you know, and if you know... I'll people would listening obviously are hunters or, or getting into hunting or you know um that's some of the best hunting we've got is low light conditions mm. and that's why binoculars are um that's where you sell, you see quality binoculars come into their own is mm. for me like i can see i know there might be a deer there and my eyes can't pick it up but the binos i got which uh, are high-end european ones swaskis mm. i've picked them up and they'll actually like be light gathering for my eyes oh, and you, you explain that to people i explain that to my wife and because she's like oh why do you need so expensive binos <laughs> and when she listens to this she goes i don't sound like that but <laughs> <laughs> just yeah to um and i explained us it's, it's the low light conditions that and i've showed her and, and she's seen it you know like nearly night time mm. and we knew that there were deer there and i put the her binos up because she's got a set now too she's like oh wow you know, and then yeah. same with a good quality scope. They're light gathering, right. for want of better words, and they increase the light so you can actually see what you're shooting or, or looking yeah, at. Yeah. So, but for you in that, that early morning, late afternoon hunt where, where animals are on the move, they're mm. feeding or moving to bedding areas or from bedding areas, that's prime time hunting. So then you would sort of come into your own. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's another hypothetical that I, I mm, think is, mm. is going to be interesting to explore. Um, and whoever you go out with and, and like you team up with, with a couple of guys or whatever, and uh, they just have to be, you know, um, not compassionate, but more just understanding of your condition. And, I, and obviously people listening to this will go, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I could hunt with Andy, you know, take him out or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, you might get a few offers from the podcast well mate, but I, I hope so welcome <laughs> them all yeah i mean we all have to be compassionate to each other's conditions uh, exactly and, and i think yeah. that's one of the things that um you know is unique to everybody is that we all have challenges and at some point we all need to yep. find our own path yeah and that's the only way that you're going to reach your full potential and and, and be able to express yourself um honestly uh, and on, like walking here and we're, we're chatting outside and whatnot before the podcast and you were saying, um, you know, you're interested in hunting and all that, which I know and we've already spoken about, but it's the whole, for me, it's the whole um, 
different elements that make up the pie. So it's preparation for going for hunting. It, it's, mm. it's tuning your gear, it's going hunting. It's, you know, if you're lucky enough to get an animal on the ground, but the thing that I've really come into my own of late, and we, we're aiming as a bit of a side note to have a couple of podcasts on meat preparation and- Excellent. A, and also cooking meat. Yes, So uh, we'll, we'll find some, we'll, we, we, we're in talks with guys that know what they're doing in regards to cooking venison and game mm. meat. So that's coming up, ladies and gents. But for me, I love doing that as well. Like I've just gotten into smoking meat in the last six, eight months oh, yeah. with a Weber smoker. I'll never, ever, ever roast another venison <laughs> um, hindquarter in my life because I'll just smoke it because it is literally the best way I find for me because mm. I've had so much experience in it now the last six, eight months is the best way to, to cook venison. The yeah. moisture stays into it. The taste right. is excellent. And I've shot some really what I expected were going to be gamey stags. Uh-huh. I've smoked them for a couple of hours, up to six hours, pull them out. The moisture is still intense and you're pulling them out at a temperature level. And that's just another right. example of another you know, piece of the pie of going hunting. Andy gets an animal on his ground, his first animal, and hopefully you're with someone that can help you and show you the right way and breaking that animal down and meet utilization. Yeah, well. Coming back to your, to, to your partner and going, sweetheart, <laughs> we're going to have roast goat tonight, you know, or, or venison or whatever. And the guys yeah, show yeah, me, yeah. The, the guys told me I need to cook it this way. So, we're, and, yeah. and that's trial and error. Like, I've, I've stuffed up, you know, a fair bit of venison in my time, overcooking it, pan uh-huh. too hot, uh-huh. pan too cold, whatever, going on, you know, this bro code that sort of floats around <laughs> hunting that sometimes doesn't work. Um, but, and it wasn't until I saw, and I, I felt that I, like I'd shoot an animal and then I felt like I'd, I'd done it a disservice by not cooking it correctly and it just annoyed the crap out of me so I yeah, wanted I to be a, yeah I wanted to be a better chef if, yep. you know, not that I'm a chef but I wanted to cook that animal better um, and it's such a good feeling um, well yeah I mean that that's part of the the appeal to me is uh, the, the whole appeal of hunting is finding a deeper connection with the meat that, mm. that I eat and um I always try to source them, you know, over the years, uh, as ethical as, 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 it, as, you, can as you can, but there's still a, a massive disconnect. And, um, and I, I think I really, you know, I really crave that connection. Mm. Um, and that's the whole process. That's the... And it is whether... I, I grew up on farms. So, you know, not on farms, but in the farming, you know outdoors not outdoor but um, country communities where mm-hmm. that's just you know we knew where meat come from and eggs come from and, and milk and all that sort yep. of thing so a lot of people and there's you know heaps of conversations around that and veganism and all the rest of it but getting like what you're saying the connection of of you going out spending all the time and effort, it might, might take you two years to get an animal on the ground from when you start hunting yeah, it took yeah. Fred Bear five years. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Took Fred Bear <laughs> five years to shoot his first deer. Oh, that's that's, so, and uh, that's reassuring. So that's yeah. Fred Bear. You know, yeah, and then he went on to you know, like waylaying godless countless number of animals, but you know, <laughs> hell of a crew he had. But he, it just took him five years because he was in a low area of yeah. deer numbers, and yeah. you know, just learning the trade, and 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 obviously an exceptional archer um but yeah it took him five years to shoot his first deer yeah, that's fascinating so 
not saying it's going to take you five years, but if it does, if it takes longer, then then I'm then you know, that's fine. Yeah. You know, you're it's, out there it's having not a crack. the point. Yep. Uh, but the connection of it, or getting that animal on the ground, and let's say it, it takes you two years, like I said before, and then you've you've you're taking that animal home, mm. and it is nothing. Well, there is a you know a couple of other good feelings, but just the. Uh, the whole outflowing of emotion of sitting at, at, a, at your table, you've cooked your, your partner, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever, your kids, family, or a, a great meal yep. of an animal you took. And, and you know the whole journey of how they got to plate. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's just, it's just fascinating to me. And um, I feel like that's just, uh, it's something that we're really missing that connection. It is. And we, we if you eat meat, you might, you know, eat meat nearly every day. Mm. And how often we, do, you, do. do you, you know, um, have that sense of appreciation for yeah. where it came from, yep. uh, the fact that it was a life mm. uh, that's, that's nourishing yours? Yeah. And, um, it's a good feeling just opening up the freezer going, hmm, am I going to eat backstrap <laughs> today? Or am I going to eat shoulders? Or Yeah. So it is a great connection. Like one of the sort of soundboarding moments I had uh, it was with my all, all my kids have shot deer bar one rifle shot um, mm-hmm. but my, my youngest boy Mitchell who's 10 I, I took him on mm. a hunt last year we rifle shot a deer and he helped me break it down to a degree um, he was a bit yeah he was a bit green around the gills at one point <laughs> he didn't like the stomach part he said um, but we got home and, and all the rest of it I think we've done venison pies. I cook venison pies, which is a bit of a process that we right. do. We've got it nailed. Nice. So I'm not going to let the secret out because I'm, I'm, it's my, my Patented recipe. Yeah, I wish. Alan Kinder pie <laughs> yeah. recipe. Al's pie recipe. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's a two-day process. But anyway, we're, so we're eating those pies Sunday evening. My wife and I are having a wine around the table and you know, family dinner, which we like to do. No TV on, just family mm. talk and stuff and, and asking about our weeks and all that sort of thing. And, and Mitch said to me, he goes, oh, Dad, this is, this is, the, is this the deer that we shot? It's mm. like, you know, like eyebrows in the, up in the air. And I was like, yeah, buddy, this is the one you and I shot. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. I helped you. you know, nice. We, we and like mum and I knew the whole story. Like he just had to back off because he didn't like the, <laughs> <laughs> the whole gutting scenario. But, yeah, I mean, he, you could see him sort of like, yeah, sit there and yeah, Dad and I done something, you know. Yeah, so it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and yeah. It, to me it was like yeah, that, that just a, and it was just you know we shot a, a chittle hind um, uh-huh. with a rifle and and headshot it just purely for meat. I was limited on days and I was up visiting a friend and yeah up the basalt and wasn't really a hunting trip but it was just an opportune mm-hmm. of taking an esky up and, and bringing some meat back and they got him up there in good numbers and yeah. just grabbed his rifle, went out that afternoon and. Um, and I have since bought that rifle, and that's now my wife's rifle. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, well, it is hers, but she, uh, <laughs> she says, oh, you bought that rifle for you. And there I go, mimicking her voice, which doesn't sound anything like my wife. <laughs> it's going to get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I'm always in trouble, mate. Um, but that whole connection, uh, is, that's, that's a hell of a thing. But one subject I wanted to touch on, uh, and you mentioned it yesterday, was, and I said blood trailing, and you said, mm. oh, because I thought, oh, you know, how are you going to, so you do get an animal and you're there by yourself. You put a shot in. A big part of hunting is obviously blood trailing and following up mm. the game and knowing the right and wrongs of doing that and not to push and when to push and all, all that sort of thing. Um, 
And I mentioned, also you then mentioned, you're thinking about like a tracker dog scenario, and we sort of spoke a little bit about that. Yeah, so. I mean, that, that's a fascinating um, idea to me, because obviously uh, Labradors have always been um, associated a with very, uh, you know, beloved companion of blind, blind and vision yeah. impaired people, and, and they... they do a tremendous service uh, as guide dogs. I just wonder how the guide dog association would like it. <laughs> I'm bringing all this blood here. Can you guys teach this mutt to track? Well, yeah, I think <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I I wouldn't want to take one of their highly trained guide dogs. I think someone else can put yeah, put that to better that, use. Yeah. Um, but but you really uh, don't. Sorry to just jump in again, but you don't really need a guide dog. Do no, you? I. I have been uh, offered a, a guide dog. Okay. Um, many people that, that aren't totally blind use a guide dog. Yeah. Right. Uh, That's a companion thing as well. It's a it's a companion thing, but it's uh, it's I use a um, I use a cane, a, a white cane, while I'm walking around, especially it, in the does city. Does a cane double as a sword? <laughs> it's not Please a cane sword. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to upgrade that yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. a cane sword. We can talk um, about that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not a full mobility cane, so I don't use it to um, feel my way around. But I do use it to uh, help um, inform other people that, okay, that I'm yeah. not um, I'm not going to necessarily see them before they see me i didn't know that especially for crossing roads and, and things like so that you just see that they they people associate that with someone that's visually impaired exactly yeah. yeah it's a smaller cane it's called an id cane um and lots of vision impaired people use one uh lots of um vision impaired people that that aren't totally blind use a full mobility cane as well yeah right um, okay it's it's a it's a tremendous aid so so you might you know, there are lots of um, there are lots of things like that that, that buck the stereotypes yeah. that you might see someone. And with it's not until we have these conversations, or oh, the exactly. listeners listen to this, they get, oh yeah, right, that bloke's not totally blind at all. He's actually just doing it for for outsiders to see that he's got a, a, a visual Im impairment. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, exactly. He, it's uh, not a crutch. He just needs that to let you know that he's not the best visually. No. Precisely, uh, and and you you might see things like um, you know someone with a a, a guide dog or a uh, a mobility cane using their phone in in public and yeah. and think hang on a minute that's that's a bit fishy. But He's on Tinder. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but it's very common, and and um, you know these are things that that are stereotypes that don't necessarily mm. um, live up in. To reality, uh, with the tracker dog side of things, I've yeah. been lucky enough to see tracker dogs work. And the last deer I shot up home in Brisbane, mm. I, I sort of was half kicking myself. I wish I had because I got a little. Well, I don't, but we have a little. Um, uh, she's a fox terrier cross mm. mini foxy. We, we got for my son Mitchell uh, because every young boy needs his own dog. So I, I think that's true. Yeah, he's he's ten, and for his tenth birthday, we we got him a dog on the quiet and. He loves it, and then pair are like, you know, they're never separated. That's great. Uh, but we got another dog as well. We got a a, a, a blue catalogue, stumpy uh -huh. tail blue catalogue, and she is so loyal and a great dog. Um, but they would be both not together, but both be extremely good in the bush. And the only thing, uh, as we spoke about the expo, 
where from the limited experience I've read about tracking dogs on game mm. is the foxes can be aggressive if they bump them. Like you say, I you see. put a shot in on, on an animal yes, and it's about half an hour and it's an iffy shot. You think, yeah, I think it's good, but I don't know it's good, which yes. happens a yeah, lot. Yeah. Um, and you've got the, your little foxy there and you're going along and if they spot them, they can then jump them and before you know it, that animal's oh, yeah. the next ridgeline over and then you've got, oh, shit, this is going to drag <laughs> out. And, you know, and then mm. you, you don't need that second burst of adrenaline where a scenario where, you know, like, and I'm not a dog guru at all. There's probably, you know, heaps of people listening to this and at, at the moment maybe cringing at my knowledge of tracking dogs and we're in the heart of tracking dog country, you know, like gun dogs and all mm. the rest of it down here in Victoria. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you sort of need a dog that's just going to point and look and go, it's there, it's there, and yeah, not bark and not be yeah. an aggressive, overt sort of um, yeah. obstacle as such. So well, I guess the lab. The labs are, seem perfect. I, I um, My childhood dog was a, a Goldie. And, okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I love their temperament. Um, they're, they're very loyal and they they are quite quiet. They're the soft bite dogs. Mm. They, they don't um, have that killer instinct. And uh, I think that... They, that they're, they're from a gun background too, aren't they? Labs, I think they are. I think Labradors are from a fishing background. Because I know people use them yeah. in the States for gun dogs, for the labs. Yeah, now, nowadays. Um, yeah. I mean, it's because of that soft bite that they're, they're going to bring you back, the, from what I understand, okay. um, bring you back the, the duck intact. Yes, you haven't got half a duck. Tear it apart like a terrier. Definitely have well, that instinct yeah. for ratting and things yeah, like that. You don't have to train them at all. Uh, well, uh, when I was in Africa, we've seen, because all their tracking dogs that they'll use, um, first thing they do is they race up and they bite the living crap out of the, yeah, the downed a, animal. A lab would never do that. Uh, He's just going to sit there and look at you for advice. And, yes. And yeah. they have very, um, very expressive faces and, and yep. eyebrows and body language and mm. you can you can which read you get to read life. after a while yeah, yeah. so uh, that that's that's a something that i'm really looking forward to that's uh, that I'd, I'd be i'd be fascinated with I've, I've always thought about having and it's again it's a situational thing um having a tracking dog you know you got to be able to have the time to do it to put into it to get the results and work as a team mm. and then I haven't ruled it out. I, I like the idea of it. I know Matt Webb from Matt Webb's Wild Harvest. He's yeah, got breeding labs. Yeah, I follow him and, and uh, his, his dog training is, is fascinating he to me. He might be worth having a, a catch-up. I know he's in Melbourne. Not Melbourne, but he's down this way. Yeah, It'd be well yeah. worth nutting out and just working in hand with him and going, hey, mate. Well, uh, when I am in the position to, well, you to can't really have get a, dog. a Labrador... Uh, yeah. That, that might yeah, be a he's, five he's definitely a bloke I look forward to. Might um, be like a five-year sort of goal for you at some point. Not oh, on the it's same. It's a year. goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as we can have a dog, um, but even we're getting talk, a dog. Yeah, we're talking to Matt about that and how he goes about training him. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm yeah. fascinated by it. I think it's a it's a great skill. And I know that he's, from what I've seen on his Instagram feed and that, that he's they're quite. To have after. great success, uh, and not just in the the tracking of the blood trail, but in um, scouting and and mm. uh, the dog's body language will mm. will um, you know give you a heads up and and um, that that's fascinating to me as well. Yeah. yeah, I think if I was to have one, it would have to be a black one. 
Yeah. I just have to have a black dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> torn. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it more so, or a chocolate one, it's more so camouflage. Like, true, true. Yeah. You've got to have a camo dog. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you get, a, get um, one of those nice camo dog suits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Tusk would <laughs> sew up a rug for him or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was... That, that sort of thing fascinates me, and because mm. again, it's it's increasing your. And I know there's a, a there's a certain element of people out there that believe no, nah, you can't hunt, you can't bow hunt with a dog. I think that is so brain dead mentality thinking, you know, as in regards to oh, it's unethical because it's not unethical. You're doing your best for meat recovery, and and yeah, if you can, you it might you might do an ordinary hit on an animal, and you might have lost the blood trail, which has happened to me a number of times on this continent and on others. Mm. And in Africa, it only helped me through dogs, and their right. black, their black trackers over there are exceptional. Right. But I couldn't follow the track. Yes, but those aids, and we did recover it. So that, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a win-win. So if I've mm. if I'm hunting, and I've often thought about taking my blue cattle dog because she's really good, she's really loyal, very smart. Mm. Um, if she starts to, gr- she'll growl before she barks, so she gets yeah. this low rumble, and if I just click my fingers mm. she'll uh she'll stop and look at me and and then she's getting really smart as she gets older in age so and i've often thought about taking her just walking with me because i know if i got in yeah close to deer because yep. i see the way she acts with the kids she would just stand there and look yeah ears pricked and she even points like she lifts her right leg yeah and sort of has this when the kids are going to walk into school or when they're coming home she wants oh, to race cute. to them but i won't let her yeah you know um so she'll watch him walk down the street, like, you know, in mm. this intense look. And I know she would be the same on the deer. Um, but I just, <laughs> I don't need her racing off and then no. typical blue catalogue, then biting him on the heels because yeah. they're called healers. Um, exactly. Well, they, they definitely have that <laughs> instinct from, from yeah. um, working as cattle dogs, cattle dogs I think, yeah. for, for nipping and for mm. harassing. And, and uh, I don't need them to do that. No, so. no. Whereas I, I think labs are... It's, like a, it's a different white. story, yeah. yeah. They're never going to chase something up a tree or, or mm. you know, like I, I know how they, they use dogs for hunting um, cougars yep. And, yep. and bear. They, in, um, in Africa, they use them for leopard too. They leopard, hunt. right. Yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I just don't think a, you know, a Labrador or a Goldie would, no. would have that mentality. They, they want to really be with you. Either. They're not, but they are extremely protective um, yeah, okay. Of uh, of handler. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, they're very very loyal, mm. and um, I mean they're they're big dogs. They they can um, be, yeah. And they love food, from what I know. They love food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta watch. Like you gotta watch the them around food. Foodies are the dog world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy. It's been a quite a great podcast chat i've really enjoyed it mate oh i i've enjoyed it immensely we've we've touched on a lot of subjects and hopefully some of the listeners out there can get in touch like how to if someone want to in the victorian area because you live in um sort of center of melbourne to a degree uh, on the north north side would you say northern suburbs um so how do do people How do people get in contact with you, Andy? Um, the best the best place to find me is on Instagram. Okay. And um, my Instagram name is at nocturnal underscore archer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little hint to, to my to your night condition. vision yeah. abilities. Um, so, yeah, at nocturnal underscore archer. Awesome, mate. And we'll, um, 
when the podcast drops, we'll put in you know, notes to it and link you up and tag you into it and all that sort of stuff that your Insta-famous <laughs> um, tweet, Google stuff that you do on Instagram um, to, to so, so people can follow you and, and see. And there's a, a great backstory in it. Like, uh, just, again, like all your archery and all that sort of thing. And, and yeah, I just... They're good posts, you know. A lot of stuff Thanks, on Instagram, I, I scroll past, not to get the whole conversation on Instagram, but I, I just flick through. But I always stop and read yours because it's quite thoughtful, and you know, and, and that's why we're sitting here today because I, it's a great conversational piece on on the challenges you face being an archer. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much, mate. I mean, I really appreciate that, and um, it's it's been a fantastic platform to to meet like-minded people mm. and, and connect with. There's a lot of good that comes out of Instagram. Yeah, I got to say that there really is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you look for it, there's, and you don't yeah. even really have to look for it. It's it's there. It's just you have to you find each it. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah. past the bullshit, which you know is social media absolutely. in itself. Absolutely, absolutely. about before, but um, all right, mate. Well, thanks for your time. It's been a it's been a privilege and a pleasure. I hope yeah. the sound, the background noise has been okay. I was a bit nervous sitting in this coffee shop <laughs> in Ligon Street with a couple of kids roll in and workmen and whatnot. Ah, oh, you know, we it's didn't. Not too bad <laughs> on a Monday bad. morning. Yeah, it's actually pretty quiet. I was I thought it'd be a bit noisy, but they've it's been a good location. So. Yeah. But just for future reference, I won't be doing all my podcasts in a coffee shop in Ligon, in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, I do mind my coffee, but... <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Hunting Countdown on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.